1: With Bruce Buffer. And now, it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. It's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. From the shores of Malibu where the waves are pumping to the Great Wall of China and back to the streets of Los Angeles, California, where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is This Time Radio, the show where we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you because we talk about everything on It's Time. It's no holds barred radio, folks. And that's the kind of show we have today. We've got to talk about UFCs. We've got to talk about current events. And we have a very special guest that I want to bring on now to set the pace for the rest of the show. Let's bring on my friend, the great commentator from the UFC, Mr. John Anik. John, how are you?
2: I am doing well. You know, the, the dulcet tones of TJ DeSantis and Bruce Buffer have put me in a good place here during fight week. I so.
1: uh, like it very much. And you know what? Uh, to let everybody in on a little bit of... Uh, uh, Trivia here, not trivia, a little scuttlebutt, shall we say. John and I were in Calgary, TJ, and we flew back early on Sunday together because, of course, this is L.A. Fight Week. John's got a lot to do. As a matter of fact, today he's taking—what are you doing today, John? You're taking interviews with fighters? So
2: Tuesday we do the fighter calls. For a pay-per-view like this, Thursday is reserved for the fighter meeting, so most of the pay-per-view fighters and the higher-profile fighters will sit down with on Thursday. But now we do these fighter calls on Tuesday. They check in, they sign a poster, they call me, we talk for three or five minutes, and that's sort of the the route around which all of my other prep sort of falls. And hopefully we won't have to bail for a fighter call, but you can be sure, Buff, with all due respect, that if Brett Johns is beeping in, man, I'm going to have to let you fly.
1: Hey, listen, I thoroughly understand. It's called, I got somebody more important on the other line, and I won't take offense <laughs> to it. <laughs> so don't worry <laughs> about that. Hey, so TJ, we came back early, right? Now, John and I are good friends, so we actually, John has been staying at Buffer Manor for the last couple days, and he left this morning to get to his hotel for all the work he does. I mean, this man only doesn't stop talking for seven, eight hours on a night of UFC, you know, event on a show, but there's a tremendous amount of preparation work that he goes through, and yesterday, I had the pleasure of being on your set. I went over and uh, filmed your podcast with Kenny Florian yesterday with an elaborate set. He's a busy man this week.
2: Yeah, it's always busy, man. And the back to backs are a little bit challenging. And I'm sure if there's an NFL play-by-play guy listening to this, he might be rolling his eyes because he does 17 straight Sundays. But as TJ can attest, as you can certainly attest, though, mixed martial arts is a different beast. You know, I got 26 fighters to learn. And coming off a show in which I had 26 other fighters to learn, you're talking about 52 fighters in a span of 10 or 11 days. So the prep's a little bit condensed with the back-to-backs, but thankfully I was able to uh, to get out to L.A. early and, and make good use of, of the extra time here at the b Flight Week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the last two days has been uh, brotherly fun in the sun. Uh, we had a really good time, some good meals. But you know what? For you and for me, it's back to work. So speaking about back to work, we were in Calgary last Saturday. What hell of a show, no question. The crowd, the fans there made noise as loud as they do or have never done or will do again Uh, in Canada. It's amazing how rabid fans they are, and I love it. I know you love it, John, but the fights were off the hook. And what can you say? Jose Aldo is back. Dustin Poirier is on his way to his next step to where he's going in his career. Joanna's back in respect to the fact she came off with a win. Hell of a night, wasn't it, John?
2: Well, it's great, and I think it's what makes this sport great is that you have one singular Fox UFC fight night and so many different storylines come out of it. And as far as your point off the top about these Canadian crowds, it sounds like I'm banging on the Americans all the time. But when we go to Brazil, when we go to Australia, when we go to England or we go to Ireland or certainly Canada, uh, the crowds are a big part of our success as announcers. We really feed off of that. And I think too often when we hit your average domestic market, um, the UFC doesn't necessarily have the same appeal as it does internationally. So it certainly was a huge treat for for me to be in Calgary for the first time. Beautiful city and a lot of different things come out of it. But for me, the big storyline is Dustin Fourier. And what this man has accomplished when you start to look at the body of work on paper, 16 UFC wins, despite the fact that he only made his UFC debut in 2011. He's already four off the all-time record, a finisher of the highest order, 11 of his UFC wins, have come by stoppage, either knockout or submission. And I just feel like he's underappreciated for the body of work that he's put together. And who would have thought that after that loss to Conor McGregor in 2014, that Dustin would ever work himself within striking distance of another shot at Conor McGregor in any division. And right now, um, it goes without saying Dustin Poirier is on the short list of, of lightweight contenders and deservedly. So
1: absolutely. And, uh, his future is bright. He's got some very tough opponents. I mean, is it Tony Ferguson? Of course, the winner of Abib and Connor, with that fight yet to be made, but we all know hopefully it will be. Uh, very, very, <laughs> a very, very strong set of people he's got to come up against. There's no question. Jose Aldo, who's been in this game absolutely forever, uh, coming off a, a win, the liver shot Saturday night, the, the kicks earlier to the, the left hand to the liver of Jeremy Stevens by Jose Aldo. Just beautiful striking at its best. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, and I think for a lot of us who have admired Jose Aldo for some time, we got a little bit emotional, too, that he sort of realized this breakthrough moment. And someone might say, oh, breakthrough moment, this is the consensus greatest featherweight of all time. But you got to recognize where he was in his career. The Conor McGregor setback, the Max Holloway series didn't go his way. And even though there was a Frankie Edgar win mixed in there, Jose Aldo hadn't put anybody away since 2013, and I think he was sort of waiting to exhale for a lot of different reasons. And I think he proved a lot to himself this night as to what he might have left. And even though I think a lot of fans don't love him in another matchup with Max Holloway or they don't like him against Brian T. City Ortega, you know, Jeremy Stevens was on an absolute tear, and Jose Aldo muted that noise and then some. He had to put himself in harm's way. He did eat an uppercut and a couple other big shots, and it, this was a fight that could have gone either way. And obviously, if Jeremy Stevens had connected a little bit more flush, the narrative here on Tuesday is a lot different. But I, I feel really good for Jose Aldo. And I think when you look back at his legacy, because there haven't been that many stoppage wins in the UFC, this is just his third finish in the UFC, this is going to go down, even though not of the championship variety, as one of the biggest wins of Jose Aldo's career. and And I just think it was a special night for him. And thankfully, he had an adoring crowd that could enjoy that moment with him. Um, Huge night for Jose Aldo, and it's going to be interesting to see how the promotion spins it forward. I'm not sure it's going to be a title fight next, but if Max Holloway isn't good to go by the end of the year, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them make a fight between Jose Aldo and Brian T. City Ortega.
1: Well, welcome to the world of MMA, and he's back in the mix, and we'll see where that mix takes him. Uh, Joanna Junjacek, were you impressed with her performance against Tisha Torres?
2: I was because I think for Tisha Torres, she knew she was going to have to take a Yom check down at least once to win the fight. I, I don't think she had any opinion that she was going to be able to win a stand-up fight or a kickboxing match for 15 minutes with, with Yelani Yom check. So I thought that the wrestling and the grappling of YMJ check was a big takeaway for me, her work in the clinch, her deceptive strength. People don't give Young Jacek enough credit for her takedown defense or her strength. You know, this is a woman who outpointed one Jessica Andraj over 25 minutes, and most people believe the former bantamweight Andrade, now a strawweight, uh, is the toughest matchup for them in this division. Uh, to a two woman in that top ten, they think Andrade is the toughest fight, and Young Jacek obviously passed that test, passed this Tisha Torres test. I would like to see Yoana move up to flyweight at some point in time. I'm not sure a trilogy fight with Nama Yunus has legs because of the way the first two fights went. Um, but Ioana seems hellbent on hanging out at 115 and getting her belt back before she moves up. So this performance was certainly a step in the right direction. And I think for Tisha Torres, she's sort of hard to pin down for me. You know, she does give up some size. And even though maybe at 5'1", she has used that lack of height as an advantage in some fights. You know, I thought this fight was eye-opening. The fact that she was unable to take Yelena check down, and because she doesn't have a lot of finishing ability on the feet, you know, there weren't that many paths to victory for Tisha. So I, I sort of feel like it's going to be a long uphill climb for Tisha to get back into contention. But for Joanna, she has set herself up for another big fight. And-, and given her profile buff, and given the way you saw this Canadian crowd react to her, I can only think the promotion would be motivated to put her in some sort of championship setting, even if that means a Namajunas fight or if it means taking on the winner of Nico Montano and Valentina Shevchenko. I just, I think Janjacek is a great five-round fighter. I think the UFC knows what they have in her, and in one division or another, I wouldn't be surprised if her next fight was for a title.
1: I fully agree with you, and I can understand her reasoning and her want to dominate the strawweight division, but let's face it, going up to flyweight, um, I agree with you. She can she can fight at that weight. She has fought at that weight. She be dominating at that weight. But she's obviously set a goal for herself. She wants her belt back, and that's her goal. And we'll see how it how it progresses. Now, with that to be happening about in Cal- in Calgary, excuse me, up in Calgary last Saturday, we've got a big show coming here at LA this weekend. That's why we're all here. And the two main key fights on this card are the flyweight title between Henry Susuhudo and Demetrius Johnson, the second time they faced off against each other. We've got the bantamweight title we're all looking forward to seeing as we're looking forward to seeing all these fights against Cody Garber and TJ Dillashaw. Let's let's start with the Cejudo fight and Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson, by most people's opinions is pound for pound the greatest MMA fighter of currently, if not of all time that is a popular consensus out there. Am I incorrect in that guys?
2: No, I mean, I think skill for skill, I'm sure TJ would agree. Most people believe that Demetrius Johnson is the guy People are gonna denigrate his strength of schedule until the end of time. And certainly it hasn't been a murderer's row of flyweight contenders. Um, but it's eleven consecutive UFC title defenses. I mean, what else are you looking for? He's about to defend the belt or try to for a twelfth consecutive time. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are in any division, that's a record that is not gonna be broken. And when I said that a couple of years ago, people were like, Oh, you know, Joanna's coming, and Max Holloway. Max Holloway has won 12 or 13 straight fights. He's defended the undisputed title one time. Okay. So he's got a long way to go. He's probably going to move up to lightweight before he gets even close to DJ's record. I think the interesting storyline for me in this one is the less known quantity. And that's Henry Cejudo, because when these two guys fought in April of 2016, Cejudo was still a developing fighter. And you can argue he's still a developing mixed martial arts athlete, but his striking Cejudo's is on a completely different level than it was when these guys met in April of 2016. I'm not saying it's going to be enough to beat DJ necessarily, but if you talk to Cejudo and his camp, you know, that first meeting was over before it started. Henry has totally different striking coaches and minds in his ear than he did back then. So I expected the betting odds to be wide, but I think it's going to be a more competitive fight, certainly than the first one. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Cejudo give DJ his toughest title defense since Timothy Elliott a few years ago. So I'm excited to see a competitive fight And Cejudo has a lot of Daniel Cormier qualities just in terms of his competitive nature uh, and his ability to, to rise to the proverbial occasion. So I think there are a lot of competitive things and juices that I like about Henry Cejudo. And maybe that's why I give him more of a chance than most.
0: I don't want to sound like a broken record here real quick, (laughs) Bruce, but uh, I echo all of John's statements. And if you want to talk about strength of schedule with Demetrius Johnson, um, the, the argue, uh, Arguing point against that would be if you throw another human being up
1: in the air and put him in an arm bar before he hits the ground, you're the baddest man on the planet. I don't care. I I have to agree with that. We've all seen that happen. He's amazing. Uh, You know, Cejudo, he was stopped by Demetrius Johnson and, you know, via strikes basically at two minutes and 49 seconds of the first round of their flyweight title fight back at USC in 197. So being the Olympic wrestling athlete that he is, and like John said, there are similarities between him and D.C. Cormier. We're talking about a very, very competitive individual at the highest level that is coming back for revenge and also coming back to win the title. And, That's a and, lot, and a for, lot in somebody's mind.
0: And for my money, too, uh, again, echoing what John was saying, like I know this is a, a a sequel to their first fight, but for all intents and purposes, Henry Cejudo is, is so almost re-engineered to a point coming into this bout that it's not fair to even really take anything from that first meeting and apply it to breaking down this fight. I think Henry's going to bring a lot of different looks uh, than he had, uh, you know, in that that first fight. He really didn't get, you know, his cylinders really firing at all. Uh, this fight is going to be a, a, a tough one, I think. I, I think, I mean, if I had to make a pick, i probably lean towards
1: Demetrius Johnson. How do you pick against the man? But Henry Cejudo is going to make this one a fight. John, you're big on the odds. You know the odds. I mean, obviously, the earlier fight between Cub Swanson and Hanato Morikano, Moc- uh, Cub's is like a four-to-one underdog. What are the odds on the Henry Cejudo fight with uh, Demetrius Johnson?
2: They're they're almost identical. Hanato Moikano and Demetrius Johnson are both in that minus four fifty, minus four seventy-five range, and Henry Cejudo and Cub Swanson coming back about plus three twenty-five, plus three fifty, and We've talked about it on It's Time. We've talked about it on the Anakin Florian podcast. You're not betting the fighter. You're betting the number, right? So right. I can sit here and say, Tanato Moicano is a real problem. And Vegas knows. And I can understand why Moicano favored in the fight, but it looks a little bloated to me. And I can understand why a lot of the betting public would see value on the more public name, Cub Swanson getting plus 325, plus 350. Did we lose, John? Whoa. If you're you're very convicted, are you there?
1: Yeah, John. You just kind of sounded like you were from Mars for a second, but we got you back.
2: Yeah, I heard that. So if you're very convicted on one side of the Dillashaw-Garbrand fight, then go ahead and play it. But I find it hard to believe that anybody can look at that matchup and say they feel confidently that if these guys met 10 times, one guy's going to win eight or nine of them. I think the fight is that close. So that fight, to me, lay layoff. You know, certainly wouldn't touch my money on that fight. Maybe you can look at a prop that it goes under four and a half rounds or something like that. Um, but you really have to get past the name and look at the number and try to find value. And that's really the best way to approach it. And, and by and large, I think with mixed martial arts, I know I'm giving you more than you asked for here, but focus on straight wagers. I think a lot of gamblers, when they're betting MMA, they put a parlay down on paper and It looks pretty appetizing because it pays five or six to one. This sport is as unpredictable as any in the world, and trying to pick three or four fights correct on one night is a huge ask. So I would tell anybody who's listening, try to focus on straight wages when you're betting MMA.
1: Well, the one key point of that is is nobody knows more than you do when it comes to looking and analyzing the fights and who would win or in your opinion or who's worth putting a bet on in your opinion. Think about the people that don't have that knowledge and here you are with all that knowledge, and it's hard to get the 100% mark. Like you said, it's very hard to pick all the fights right because in our sport, as in any sport really, but especially in the octagon, anybody can win on any given day. May the best man or woman win at their best performance they're giving on that given night. It's really what it comes down to. So enjoy your bets, guys. Yeah. Enjoy them. Let's talk, let's talk about the main event. Cody Garbrandt, T.J. Dillashaw. Uh, Cody, no love Garbrandt with no love for T.J. Dillashaw. This is definitely going to be... a uh, all throw for the wall, bang down, knock down, drag out five rounds or less. Fight. What are the odds on this one, John? Who are they calling on this one?
2: It, it's essentially a pick'em. So T.J. Billersh has a slight favorite online right now at minus 120. Cody is also in the minus at minus 110. And a lot of the sharp guys I talked to this week are leaning towards Cody Garbrandt. They think he's the slightly better athlete in this equation. Maybe has more natural power and more natural speed. You know, Ken Flo on our podcast pointed to the fight between Cody Garbrandt and Dominic Cruz, and Cody's ability to stay patient and to beat Dom at his own game, and to be very effective with his counter striking. You know, I think some patience would serve Cody Garbrandt well, and I think in an emotional grudge match rivalry type of fight like this, it's a lot easier said than done to check and bottle those emotions. But I do agree with a lot of the analysis out there, that I think Cody Garbrandt is the better athlete. I do do think he has more natural power, even though he doesn't have as many ways to beat you on the feet. Um, And also too, I think, you know, in major league baseball, you talk a lot about dinging and donging, right? If the Yankees win today, I'll play the Red Sox tomorrow. You know, I think these guys are destined for a trilogy. Those shots took the first meeting. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Cody, even the score here and these guys fight for a third time, but I really think it's that close, you know, When I look at Daniel Cormier and Steve Miocic, I think if those guys fought 10 times, DC wins seven or eight of them. I think if Cody and TJ fight 10 times, it's five apiece. So I think it's going to be a very close fight. You know, I do think we're going to get a finish this time around. I don't think it's going to be the full 25 minutes because both guys are just that spectacular on the feet. Um, But it's going to be exciting as long as it lasts, man. And I'm excited for these guys to get the LA spotlight because these are two of the best we have in any division, and I think they certainly deserve it.
1: Well, you know, they definitely do go at it. I mean, Garbrandt won a five-round unanimous decision over Dominic Cruz at UFC 207 uh, to win the Bantamweight title. And then he comes back. It's knocked out by T.J. Dillashaw in their war, which ended, you know, two minutes and 40 seconds or so in the second round when he lost the title. So these two definitely go at it. Uh, it's It's going to be a heck of a night, a hell of a night, shall we say. And I'm really looking forward to that, those three fights. There's another 12 fights on the card. I think we're 13 total for the evening. Uh you've got a lot of work going on this week, John. I don't want to hold you up. I do want to bring one more story in uh, that I don't know if we discussed this weekend, but you know, the CTE issues, the, the concussion issues in the NFL, the season's about to start, and the Seahawks, Joshua Perry, he just announced retirement after a six documented concussion at the age of twenty four years old. So do you feel well, that right con-
2: and that's- Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, six documented. So documented the exactly seconds, how how many concussions has he had that weren't documented dating to pop Warner and middle school football. So I am always in favor of an athlete stepping away when there's some type of head condition or issue. And obviously in the case of of Perry, there have been multiple documented concussions and it's hard to walk away at 24, you know, from guaranteed money and from getting close to an NFL pension and everything else that goes into it. But I wish more fighters would recognize that they're getting to a certain point. And even if, you know, a guy like Eddie Alvarez, for lack of a better example, even if he feels sharp as a tack and is as well-spoken and articulate as any fighter on the card, anyone who has watched MMA for the last decade knows that Eddie has sustained a lot of concussive damage, that Eddie Alvarez has an ability to rally through adversity and win MMA fights unlike any athlete I've ever seen. But what is the cost? He has four children. Uh, he absorbed a whole lot of concussive damage once again this weekend and Eddie Alvarez ain't hanging him up, you know, and I just think two or three more fights down the line could put him in a place that isn't so good. I'm not sitting here saying he has CTE, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. So I think that, uh, anytime we see a story of an athlete retiring prematurely because of head issues, I think that athlete is to be supported. And hopefully for Perry, uh, he can land softly on TV, which I know is his aspiration because, uh, He's preserving his brain, and I give him a lot of respect for doing that.
1: Well, oh, good. I wish him all the best, too. And, I'm, again, TJ and I are in full agreement with everything you're saying today, John. It's exactly true. And well, it's I mean, all-
2: I, you know, and TJ has watched Eddie Alvarez in, his entire career. You know, I called an Eddie Alvarez fight back in 2009, and if you would have told me then that 10 years later he'd still be competing with and beating the best lightweights in the world, I would say, physically, how can he? But – I think he's been smart at times about body preservation and training and understanding the benefits of sparring and not sparring so much, but I don't know, man. It's just sometimes hard when you see an athlete like Darren Elkins survive and their toughness ends up being something that they are revered for, and yet it's something that could really cause them problems down the line. It it, it is a really difficult situation. I'm not saying there's an easy solution, but I think it's an important thing should be brought up. And I'm glad that, you know, we discussed it a little bit today.
1: Yeah, I'm glad too. I'm all about safety for the fighters. I'm all about their living the future lives they have to the end as healthy and mentally fit and physically fit as possible. And I want Eddie to be able to watch his beloved Philadelphia Eagles when the Super Bowl come to next oh. season, which is about to start. And I read where he just spent $142,000 on a special tailgate van. That looks amazing because he is wow. a huge, he's a huge tailgater. He loves the whole tailgating process, and like where TJ comes from, Minneapolis, and like Wisconsin, and pretty much like anywhere when the NFL plays, those tailgate parties, if you're a tailgater, that's a big deal. That's almost as important as the game that's about to play. Dude, go to some of
0: those tailgate parties and just forget going to the game. Most of those uh, tailgate buses have, like, direct TV inside of it, so, you know, stay in there, especially if it's an outdoor stadium. Get get hooked up with a buddy, sit in their luxury suite out in the parking lot and pregame and postgame.
1: Hey, considering what they're drinking and doing out at that tailgate party, they might forget to go to the game by the time the game starts. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. I
2: mean, I tailgated at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough,
1: Massachusetts for almost every home game from 2000
2: to 2006. And a quick story on the way out, actually. The the first year the Patriots won the Super Bowl, they had a regular season Sunday night game against the St. Louis Rams. And it ended up being a – foreboding a little bit because they would play the Rams in the Super Bowl, and they lost this game, but it was the last game they lost, I believe. Well, I hit the tailgate a little bit too hard, so I was running to my seat, running up the cement stairs at Gillette Stadium. Right before kickoff, I had a beer in one hand, an Italian sausage in the other. I slipped on the concrete stair, fell flat on my face. I looked down, and my pinky nail was completely gone.
1: Oh, that's not fun.
2: So... So, you know, obviously some of the alcohol in my system numbed the pain a little bit, but I had to watch a three-hour football game there in the cold with uh, with nine fingernails. The thing was completely flush off, bleeding all over the place, all over the sausage roll. It was a fucking mess.
1: So Nervant exposed. My tail,
2: I, had tempered, I had tempered my tailgates ever since that baseball match.
1: i say that'd be a pretty good uh, time to really think about tempering it up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who wants to go through that again? John, I know you're busy. I'm going to see you on Saturday, if not Friday. Uh, Thanks for coming over. Thanks for uh, hanging out for a couple days. We had a great time. And uh, let's get back to work, bro, because that's what we do. We're UFC people, and that's what we're going to do this weekend. That is
2: what we do. Well, thanks for the hospitality, buddy, and it's always good to be on with you, fellas.
1: Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your podcast yesterday.
2: Anytime, pleasure, boys. Talk to you soon. See you, John. Right,
1: take care, John. See you, these. All right. Before we get to all
0: the other current events uh, that you want to talk about, Buff, I, I, I want to hit you up on on one topic. Maybe you don't have an opinion, but it's definitely to me a sort of an elephant in the room when we talk about Dustin Poirier and uh, Eddie Alvarez, and and that is the twelve to six elbow that caused referee Mark Goddard to stand Eddie up, which. Ultimately led to his demise. He was in a fantastic position, uh, fully mounted on Poirier. He throws this downward elbow, and uh, you know that that caused the referee to stand them up. And and we all know what happened shortly there after. Uh, you ever heard that old saying, Bruce? That it's impossible to draw a perfect circle. Like a human being can't draw a perfect circle.
1: Yeah, of course I have.
0: You also can't throw a perfect twelve to six elbow, and these are the words essentially from one big John McCarthy. And I don't know how he feels about this situation, but in the past, John has talked about the 12 to six elbow. And we know that the rule in mixed martial arts, for the most part, the 12 to six elbow comes from misinformation. The, the idea that you can destroy someone's skull with a 12 to six elbow, because we saw it on ESPN back in the day with martial artists, destroying cement bricks and all that fun stuff. Um, I don't believe that you can ever really truly be in a position to throw a 12-6 to elbow. For the most part, they're ineffective. Poirier even said as as such in his post-fight interview, um, I think it was a shame that Goddard called it. Uh, Again, I don't think that it was a 12-6 to elbow. Everything has an arc to it. You can't go straight from the ceiling to the floor, especially in that position. If you look at the replay, there is an arcing motion uh, to it, but that's neither here nor there. Goddard did what he thought to do best and, and follow protocol. But th- this rule needs to go away, Bruce, because it dramatically affected the outcome of this Alvarez and Poirier fight. And, uh, you know, it, it's really sort of a, a nonsense uh, sort of rule to to have this big of an impact and this big of a fight.
1: Yeah, and I, I know there was controversy, if that's what you want to call it, um, the fans watching and everybody else. Mark Goddard uh, went public with his response to the heat that came through. Uh, when I was on Kenny's and John's podcast yesterday, they pretty much, if I remember correctly, backed up Goddard's decision and what he did. Um, this is the type of thing where you really get down to the fact, and yes, you can't you know draw the perfect circle or however that term goes right. But it's all about the referees perception which is the right. reality of the fight at that time and right. no matter what we're it's like a judge at the yeah. end when i when i get those judges rules and a split decision 29 28 29 right. 28 for the winner and 30 27 for the loser right yeah you ask yourself what the hell are they looking at right if that's the differential and let, let me let me clear
0: something up too because I'm, I'm echoing again the sentiments of both john and kenny i don't think that mark otter necessarily did anything wrong if he i don't either i, I don't think, either i think he could have ignored it had he wanted to, or just shouted out a warning to Eddie? But the bottom line is, it is a foul. Um, you know, the the definition of whether or not you take a point away or or break, uh, you know, the action due to an illegal blow is whether or not it was intentional and whether or not it had uh, a lasting effect on the fight. While I don't think it had a lasting effect on the fight, I mean, it was intentional. Eddie Eddie Alvarez didn't throw accidental elbows. You know what I mean? And Goddard, even in his interaction with Eddie in the neutral corner was, hey, it's not my rule. And I thought that was his sort of way of saying, look, I'm, I'm here to enforce the rules. I don't make the rules. I may not even necessarily agree with this rule. And I, I thought Goddard did a, a, a fine job doing what he did, but the bottom line is it directly impacted the fight. And then there were also some other um, things that happened that I thought were more egregious, more blatant, in the fight that weren't necessarily called. One, Eddie Alvarez was holding onto the fence when he was in a guillotine. What do you do there? It's, it's really hard to chastise Eddie, who's caught in a submission. What are you going to do? Take away the submission from Poirier to tell Eddie he can't grab the fence? Hard to really make a decision there. But in the flurry that ended the fight, Poirier grabs the fence and throws a high kick. That is more blatant, more egregious, and you could argue maybe more uh, impactful um, of a foul than, than what Eddie did. But, you know, the, the referee, hardest job, I think, in the business. And, uh, you know, we, we really rarely ever call anybody out that's an official when they do a fantastic job. And more often than not, I think Mark Otter does a fantastic job. And, uh, again, I think I'm almost uh, arguing against my own point here. I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong. It was just highly unfortunate.
1: Yeah, that I can't say it any different. And, you know, speaking for the referees, there are great referees. There are solid referees, and we've certain seen, certainly seen some poor referees. Oh, yeah. You're putting and it kindly. Have, I'm putting it kindly. Now, the top referees in the business, now that John McCarthy is with Bellator, right. he's I don't think he's refereeing, or maybe he is, but he's not refereeing in um, any events that I've been announcing. I
0: don't believe uh, he's refereeing. So, I don't
1: think he's refereeing, and probably I hope he doesn't have to because he has such a great position with Bellator and everything else he's doing. Right. Mark Goddard is one of the top referees. Mark Goddard's also very similar in the way he referees, in my opinion, to the way John McCarthy referees. I agree. There's
0: a reason Goddard's being
1: flown all over the place when he's not a native uh, to the jurisdiction. You know what I mean? Exactly, because he's one of the best. Herb Dean, most definitely the top, one of the best. And I'm going to tell you another referee that I think is one of the best. And there's a number I can name. But for expediency's sake, I I want to give this man his credit. He works Saturday night. And his name is Keith Peterson. I think Keith Peterson is one of the best referees in the business.
0: No, he's great. Peterson. He's great. I yeah. mean, my my favorite referees, uh, McCarthy, Dean. Uh, I like Keith Peterson a lot. Um, Jason Herzog, I think, is incredibly overlooked. Excellent. He's a fantastic referee.
1: Excellent referee. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, the, the list goes on and on. And I won't name the names of people that I think should be uh, fired in every jurisdiction. No, 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 no. Uh, it's not That's right bad. Right. But. Uh, you know, the bottom line is, I think that, uh, you know, Mark Radner, who has a lot of say in, uh, you know, what referees hit the road uh, with the UFC and get licensed in the jurisdiction that the Octagon is setting up in, uh, he's done a, a fairly uh, good job in, in recognizing the talent that the referees uh, have, and,
1: and those uh, officials are rewarded with, uh, you know, road assignments, uh, if you will. Exactly. Now, you know, we're coming to California this week, and you might be wondering who's going to be referee in California. And uh, I'm very happy to say, you know, um, if you want to have an idea here, uh, Herb Dean, of course, is going to be there. Right. Mike, Mike Beltran, who does He's a hell fantastic of a job. referee, fantastic referee and uh, Frank Trigg, Frank Trigg. Referee. Oh,
0: Trigg. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of people have thought, you know, when are referees going to be made of old fighters and old judges and or uh, old fighters and, and judges be made up of old fighters as well. Uh, you know, Trigg, if you are listening, I'm not calling you old, sir. All right. You, you still look great. Young buck, if you will. But uh, you know, Trigg is a guy that has some of the best Trig. experience under his belt as a competitor. And, you know, he's he's putting in the rounds as a, as a referee and official as well. Treat Trigg nice. You don't want to run into him in an elevator I, down I'd at but, the LA shirt. And, unless I got you with me. <laughs>
1: unless you're with me, then I'm okay. Trig and I are buddies, you know that. Okay, we're all good. <laughs> oh, okay. Lord. Someone's well, like, so what so does I mean, this mean? Let me go down no, this rabbit hole. Google it, people. Mean, You'll be fine. Means, means nothing. It means Frank Triggs gonna be refereeing, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, let's go on to the news. The car fire in California, oh, this is man. just, this has now become considered by the statistics, the seventh worst fire in the history of California. And it's already killed eight people. The heat spells are just beyond bearable. Right. The destruction is that of like the aftermath of an atomic bomb. This is not even my quote. No. This is a quote that is being made by experts. Yeah, as it's already destroyed more than 110,000 acres. It's swept through Redding, California, a city of 100,000 people. It's it's knocked down. I think over well over 500 structures have not. No, it's going to be 880 homes. Yeah,
0: and and again, not to be grim, but to sort of go back to the point of how. Uh, terrible! This fire truly is. That was at the time of printing of the story that you're reading. I don't know where it stands of now, and and this is something you know. But I mean, we we as men and women that try to you know pay the respect to the people that uh, we need to pay respect to, we always seem to call out you know military uh, personnel and and say thank you for your service. The next time you see a firefighter, you know say the same thing because especially in this state of California. Um, you know, these men and women put themselves in harm's way every single year. I mean, there's there's never a year where there isn't some sort of wildfire that needs to be fought on, on multiple fronts in this state. And, uh, you know, we've seen it, you know, a, a lot this last week, uh, t- too many reminders that, you know, being a firefighter is not the safest job in the world. While it's not necessarily, you know, heralded as the same as a police officer who goes out there and, you know, arrests bad guys, they're still putting themselves in harm's way, not only in front of fires, but, you know, in front of, you know, uh, troubled individuals and they're just trying to help. And, you know, they, 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 these men and women could have taken a much easier cushy job, uh, but instead they tried to protect us all. And, and some ultimately pay the ultimate sacrifice and, uh, we well, appreciate
1: them very much. Absolutely. And I, you know, you know, I've talked about this before on my show and our show is the fact that growing up in Malibu since 1972, I've been through every horrific fire out there and I bow to firemen and I bow. To fire women every time I see them mentally, truly. Yeah. They to. are studs and studstresses, studstresses and just incredible, incredible. More power to and also my heart and condolences go out to the fireman who lost his life in the fire. He was setting a backfire, TJ, and a tree fell on him. Mm. Oh God. So tragic.
0: I mean, that's the thing. You like you, you think that they just have to worry about the fire itself, and it's just not the the case. There's so many other factors that are, you know are related to the fire it's not just the flames you have to worry about it's that debris it's the lack of yeah. oxygen it's the sheer heat I mean it doesn't help Bruce like obviously they're fighting a fire that is you know I don't even know what the temperatures are but but the the air temperature here I mean it's the hottest part of the summer it
1: feels like yep yep it's 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 tough all the way around there are people out there that are trying to entertain them I think it was Neil Young that went out and gave a concert you know, with wow. his guitar, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, chef, now, tell me if I'm saying his name right. He's a big UFC fan. Celebrity chef Guy Fieri. Uh, guy Fietti. F I E R. Correct. Correct. Oh, yeah. It, 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 okay. it doesn't look like it, be yeah. Guy Fietti. Well, I'm giving Guy tremendous credit. I've met Guy numerous times at, at the UFC. He's invited me to go to his restaurants. He's the nice guy in the world. Great restaurants, too. Uh, there's
0: one, I think, at Planet Hollywood, the Planet Hollywood uh casino on the strip there, Um,
1: just uh, amazing chef. Well, here's how he stepped up. With thousands displaced by devastating wildfires, right? He headed up to Redding, California with his son to serve up meals for hundreds of victims and rescue workers over the weekend. So with friends and volunteers, they loaded up their cars with food, drove four hours north from California's wine country to Shasta County where the fires are. That's where two fast moving fires had killed four people and and forced 20,000 people to evacuate their homes there. So on his own ticket, he went up there, did that. That is a true celebrity to me. That is a person who is giving of himself and not just taking. Good for you, Chef. Say it again. Guy Fietti. Good for you, Guy Fietti. <laughs> and I'll get your name. I always call him Guy when I see him. Thank God he doesn't ask me to say Mr. Fietti. Right. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. He He's not that uh, kind of person either. Not a very formal guy very laid
0: back and, uh, yeah, his attitude I think actually is, uh, presented on the plate as well. Just, uh, he, he makes the, the kind of food that just makes everyone happy and, and comfortable.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I'd, I'd love to have him on the show sometime. Did you have any luck getting that young boy from uh, Minneapolis? Uh,
0: to be honest with you, my, my wife has been suffering some, uh, health issues and I haven't been able to do the leg work like I wanted to. So, Not, uh, no, we'll, hope uh, she's
1: okay. we'll hope she's okay.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working through it. We'll, uh, we'll make something happen hopefully next week, but, uh, it's a story that you know we read last week, and and if people want to go check it out, uh, always a good good enough excuse to check out the archive. Go do it, uh, but you know, we'll 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 make it happen. I'm I'm
1: promising you that, Buff. All right, sounds good, sounds good. Now let's get on to some other news. Uh, there's some herb news in the mail, and I don't mean Herb Dean. Right. Um, <laughs> Canadian brewers are now expanding experimenting with beer. Right. Right. And not the kind of beer that's going to get you drunk. They're talking about putting THC content in it. And I don't know if this beer is already out there, but beer that contains THC and can be sold where it's legal.
0: Right. Yeah, I uh, heard an article or heard a radio show discuss this, and apparently, like the high from it as well is uh, a lot quicker acting than uh, some of the other edibles that are out there. So, if um, you know people do partake, whether it's medicinally or recreationally, wherever you know the the rules you know state wherever you are, um, this might be a, a better sort of choice for some people that. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of stories, Bruce, about people that have, you know, never really messed around with it. And for the first time, they they do an edible and they don't think that it's working. So they go ahead and eat more, they do more. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're calling the local emergency room because they're going to overdose on marijuana,
1: which is not possible. Yeah, no, it's not. But it's you know, it's a scary feeling when you're not used to it, I'm sure, for those individuals that don't do it. So if your choice is to get baked on bitter or, or stoned on stout, as I right. say, right. I would just recommend that you have your one like bottle. That. Baked Check on bitter, sort of stoned on stat. I like that. That's good. That, that was quick, right? Yeah. Very quick. All right. Now we go on. Let's talk about a little more uh, drug action going on, but the, the most horrid kind possible. Um, a Columbia drug gang. Mm. Get this. Columbia narcotics officer Sombra is on the run after one of the most powerful drug cartels put a $70,000 bounty on her head. Oh, God. Okay. But here's the thing. Her head is not the head of a female human being. This is a highly decorated German shepherd dog, right? What? A highly decorated German shepherd dog. And basically what it is, according to reports, uh, the Urbina, Urubinas, Urbinos Drug Gang, which is considered Colombia's most feared criminal organization, they put the hit on Sombra, the German shepherd, who's a six-year-old dog. Because he just recently sniffed out 10 tons of cocaine, good for this dog, good for this dog, in two separate bus, right? So Sombra, which means shadow in English, he's been working Columbia's port cities, right? But officials now, they moved her beat up to the Bogota Airport because it's outside the Urbinos gang's turf. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a, a police officer involved in a shooting is now on desk duty, but it's for her own safety. So this gang is known for taking out hits on its enemies, but usually it's in hundreds of dollars. But now they put seventy thousand out, and that's because in six years she has helped bust two hundred and forty-five drug dealing suspects. Wow! What a dog! What a dog! Good you know, for this dog. You know
0: what is almost more alarming than this entire story is the fact that in it you said that their normal bounty on the heads of individuals is usually in the hundreds of dollars, like mm-hmm. it concerns me that someone will consider murdering someone for hundreds of dollars. I'm, I'm not saying that tens of thousands of dollars make happens it more th- acceptable, but for hundreds of dollars, Buff, I'll pay you hundreds of dollars to not kill me. By the what way, the, don't anyone threaten my life. I don't wanna pay you hundreds of dollars yeah, exactly. to not kill me, but you get happens the point.
1: All, happens all the time, TJ, happens all the time. I There's mean, sick, sick people out there that do sick things for well, little money. When you're dealing in a country that is not a country of high level income for all right. these individuals, I mean, it all spells itself out. Well, $70,000, you know, take care yeah. of this dog and then get this dog back there and bust as many of these bad people as you can. I'm all for it. So I'm, kudos. Um, as we go talking about animals, there's one thing here. This I found this to be weird. This guy goes to the zoo, right? This mm-hmm. is not a joke. I'm not talking about a joke. All right. So a zoo is being accused of. Painting a donkey to look like a zebra. I heard about this. And apparently it worked, at least for a little while. It did. Um, An 18-year-old man named Mahmoud Sarhan was visiting a recently opened animal sanctuary. Now, this is in Cairo, Egypt, right, at the International Guard Municipal Park. And he spotted this strange-looking animal. He He says, certain things stood out and made it suspicious. The black paint had melted on the donkey's face. The ears didn't look like the right size for a zebra. And then he posted the picture up on his Facebook page, and all of a sudden it all came back. Yeah, it was a donkey. They they painted it to look like a zebra. Seriously, seriously, well, I have enough problems with zoos, let alone you gotta like right. falsify an animal.
0: That's well, crazy. also too that paint on that animal's skin cannot be good for it. You know, what toxic. I mean? Yeah, sure toxic.
1: there's some real that's- health concerns there for this animal. Yeah, well, that's one said done and out now. This is one way, and now that I've learned how to say the name of the uh, establishment correctly, but one way to get Chick Fil A for life, uh-huh. right? Yeah, a baby a baby girl was born in a Texas Chick Fil A, right? Right. So now she gets free food from Chick Fil A for life and a future job. They promise. What? Her. Yeah, isn't that pretty incredible? Now I'm not saying if you're about ready to, to you know, well, hey, to, to, to get to that position, run to a Chick Fil A and lie in the lie in the in the booth. I'm for free food and a future job. Right. But just on this one little scenario. Right. So basically they said it was only fitting um, because they gave birth in the restroom of a San Antonio Chick-fil-A. okay? Right. And in celebration of birth on Tuesday, they said free food for life at her parents' favorite fast food joint and a guaranteed job when she turns 14. Yeah. Cool. I, I mean, I find that to be very cool.
0: Hey, it's it's a cool sort of publicity stunt. I'm just worried about copycats. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that people are that desperate that they want free Chick-fil-A for life. So they're going to make their, you know, expecting wives, you know, hang out in the uh, in the restaurant until, you know, something happens. But you never know. Hey T.J.,
1: if there's yeah. somebody out there that's willing to take somebody's life for right. hundreds of dollars. Yeah, there's somebody out there that's willing to do something funny to get Chick Fil A for life.
0: <laughs> right. No, you're you're absolutely right. I've heard about airlines doing this as well. Like, uh, if if a woman gives birth on an airplane while in flight, they've given the the child like you know one free flight a year or something like that. Like, I, I think those things are sort of cool, but I would I would hate to think that it would ever influence someone's uh, behavior. You know, during one of those very serious times when it comes to health concerns.
1: Well, let's end the show on a really cool note, okay? My congratulations goes out to a young man named William Milas. Okay, Mm -hmm. he's achieved his college degree. Okay, he he wants to be an astrophysicist. He just graduated from Saint Petersburg College. He is now the youngest man to ever graduate from Saint Petersburg College. How young? Eleven years old. Get he just here. Gra- he just graduated college at eleven years old. He graduated high school when he was nine. What? Right. He was always on a fast track. By the time he was two, he was doing simple math, and at four, he had already learned algebra. So How? This is, this is a gifted human being. This well, is a gifted human being.
0: Well, I, I guess I mean that's the thing too. Like, I, you kind of have to want to be that smart if you're that young and, and you're sticking with it. I mean, my my son is good at a lot of subjects, uh, excellent reader. He's seven years old though, and wants to, you know, play video games and run around. So I, I can't get him to, to read as much as I would like him to, even though he's so good at it, but wow, that that's, that's insanity. Uh, 11 years old and he has years old.
1: a bachelor's degree already and aspirations to be an astrophysicist. There's one well, thing I'm going to bet for sure. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you a thousand dollars to a donut. Uh-huh. Okay. He doesn't play Fortnite. Man, I would almost take that bet. I would everybody plays Fortnite. I don't me. know, except me. I, I don't play it. If he might have played it, but I'm going to tell you right now, this kid with this brain, yeah. He's not am not that there, listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing no, Fortnite. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. I get what my you're saying. My problem is when that that's what they do all day cuz there's right. so much to do as a young man, a young child. You and I didn't have video games when we were kids. We were on our bikes playing baseball right. and doing yeah. everything out there. I mean, I've still got
0: some gravel in my elbows because I was a kid doing those things, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm making a light I'm making
1: a light joke but right. it's actually half serious.
0: You know you know you know what? Uh I bet you maybe he has played Fortnite but it was from a different point of view altogether. He's probably trying to figure out like certain patterns in the game and and how it's programmed and and if there's a way to exploit it, etc. I mean that those are the the types of of ways that you know geniuses look at things and man good for him. Uh good for his parents. I mean if if my kid was on that fast track, like, man, I'm, I might quit my job. I might just hang out and be like, look, you're going to be brilliant and make a lot of money. Uh, let, let's do right by daddy.
1: You know, what really has fulfilled my heart last week and this week on the show is that we talked about two young men, one age 13 last week and one age 11 this week that are just really prime examples of of just doing good, right? Just doing good, just uh, ju- uh, realizing that there's more in their brain than just the five percent right. of whatever it is most of us realize. And right, being an entrepreneur or being a gifted child in education right. with aspirations, and dreams. This to me, just like as older gentlemen that we are, and my always saying, be a role model to your sphere of influence. Right. They're starting this action at a very young age, right. and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I really. I really. mean,
0: you know, there's that old saying like the children are all that we have, you know, like our future is all that we yeah. have. And, you know, a lot of things, I mean, you, you turn on any cable news network, it's all doom and gloom. No no matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's mm-hmm. all doom and gloom. And stories like these are the ones that get overlooked. I mean, I feel better about our chances as a country if an 11-year-old kid is about to, you know, turn his attention to becoming an astrophysicist. Like that that doesn't happen in when it does happen, we don't seem to celebrate it. So uh, look at you two ending the show on a solid note. Solid it's, note. It's only taken 10 years for you to figure it out, <laughs> but I love it.
1: Hey, listen, it's like poker. Five minutes to learn and a lifetime to master. I'm always learning. You know that about me. I wake up every day to learn something new and you can tell me I'm wrong and prove it to me and I'll turn my opinion around. So I'm going to give you one last quote from this young man. Yep. He says, I want to prove to the world that God does exist through science. Wow. Big task, big task. Hey, and his goal is to complete his doctorate by the time he's 18, which is the age that most people be in college. Good for him.
0: Good. For well, him. I mean, he's got seven years to complete his doctorate. So, uh, what, I mean, that that's almost half his life that he's been around. So I have no doubt in my mind that he'll definitely, uh, complete that. But, uh, you know, lofty goals for this young man. And, uh, you know, I support him. I support
1: him wholeheartedly. That's, that's a great story. I do. Totally. You know, what's also really nice. And I don't mean anything bad by this hmm. is that he this is a, a a young man born and raised in the United States of America. Right. We're not we're not talking about a foreign country. We're talking. No, about in our, yeah. our Country. Yeah. I love that. I, I love mean, that. And I, not, how, not that I, I wouldn't talk about it if it was foreign. I, right, just, I right. just realized uh, I love this. I love
0: this. We hear a lot of things about that, Bruce. We hear a lot of things about these young geniuses. And and I mean, you know, to a certain extent, we just brought up how children are different. In other countries, when we were talking about uh, the Thai soccer team that was, you know, in the caves. And it's difficult to sort of accept the fact that, you know, young Americans are not as vigilant and and hardworking generally as maybe some of the other uh, countries where the the beginnings are a bit more uh, humble, if you will. And, uh, you know, and again, too, we, we may have the perception completely wrong. It's just we can only consume what is presented to us through the the various media outlets that we look at, and again, these stories—I mean, you don't usually have a story like this leading national news.
1: I'm with you all the way. Boy, it's so nice to have a show where I agree with everything being said by my guest, by my co-host. Hey,
0: you know, like minds—you uh, know, we we do well together sometimes.
1: Absolutely, and I just got a text from my beloved Kristen that I have six videos to film that I have to be in a tuxedo and ready to go in the studio and oh, 24 minutes. So I'm going to have to sign up on the show. You better hustle buff. Well, since the Stepe uh, bio and Ryan Miochich uh, uh, birth announcement that uh-huh. I made for them. Yeah. At uh, which I just sent them the privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they put it out on Instagram and, and I got all the, uh, The pura that I got, oh, my God, we've been inundated with orders for uh, so many babies being born and the birthdays and the weddings and all. Again, and I have to say, for what it's worth, July 2018, biggest month in voiceovers coming through BruceBuffer.com ever. That that is awesome,
0: Buff. Uh, Fist bump on that. But by the way, the fist bump with the fighters, man, that's the only thing that's maybe more powerful or more popular than these uh, voiceover requests. My goodness, everyone's trying to get a piece of the
1: buff. Well, you know, remember, I'm not the one that instigates that. I that's know.
0: I, I don't know who yeah. originally did it, but I know that Cole Miller claimed to be the first one and felt like he everyone was, was uh, infringing on his, his special thing. But you're not going to leave a man
1: or woman hanging like that. I would never disrespect a male or female warrior, my beloved octagon, ever. Yeah. I give them every ounce of everything I have when I introduce them. Yeah. And if that's what they want, that's what they get. Because well, well, they are the ones putting their blood, sweat and tears in the line, my friend, not me. They're doing it. Well, we'll give a hat tip, though, to Mr. Miller for being an innovator. No, yes, he is, he is, you know, uh, along with Dan, you know. Dan, of course. Dan, of course. Dan? Well, Dan Hardy
0: likes to scream at you. Now Dillashaw <laughs> does the same thing. You know, uh, oh. everybody's got their sort of uh, own little thing that they do with you when you introduce them. And, you know, as a viewer who's sitting on, you know, this side of the screen, I, I love seeing it come out.
1: Well, you're going to see it Saturday night with that lineup for sure. I'll promise oh, my you that. Oh, goodness. TJ, anything coming up you want to tell the audience for? Uh,
0: you no, know, nothing really. Um, just hanging out, uh, you know digesting all the things uh, that are mixed martial arts and its current events. I uh, would appreciate it if people would check out uh, my platform to do so. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash between rounds. So
1: you can catch me on sure.com and always follow me on Twitter at TJ DeSantis. Fantastic. And those of you that follow me on Instagram, it's at BruceBufferUFC. On Twitter, it's at BruceBuffer. And at Facebook, There's like three different pages, so take your choice. But at any rate, thank you for tuning in. Really looking forward to Saturday. We'll see you from the Octagon. Uh, I will see you from the Octagon at UFC 227 Saturday night. Heck of a night of action. Um, Better be because we just came off an incredible night of action in Calgary. With that being said, everybody, be a role model to your sphere of influence. Treat everybody around you with respect the way that you want to be treated. Set your goals. Write them down. But do your research. Learn about everything you're setting out to do. So when you step on that path, you can be the best you can be. And that's what it takes to win. And that's what we talk about on It's Time Radio. It's all about winning. So it's time to win. Have a great week. And I'll see you next week. I'll talk to you next week. And with that being said, buffer out. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to desantisprod at gmail.com.